Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast, a podcast recorded at LifeGate Church in Burleson, Texas. We hope you enjoy the talk, and be sure to stick around for more at the end. This morning we are continuing in this series we've been doing this last several weeks called What on Earth Am I Here For? Everybody look at your neighbor and say, what on earth am I here for? And in this series over this last several weeks we've been talking about this age old question. We've been talking about what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And we've learned so many things. How many of you have learned something in this series over this last several weeks? We have learned so many things and the number one thing that we have learned is that if we want to know the meaning of life, if we want to know the purpose of life, then we have to look to the maker of life. We've got to start by looking to the creator. It all starts with God. So everybody say it all starts with God it all starts with God in fact that's what the scripture says in Colossians 1 and verse 16 it says for everything absolutely everything above and below visible and invisible rank after rank of angels everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him it all starts with him it's really not about God what is my purpose for my life it's about God what do you want to do with my life and it all starts with him and so that's been our Our goal of this series and of this campaign is just to get to know him more. The more we get to know God, the more we will understand what it is that he has created us to do here on this planet. And so for this last six weeks or so, we have been studying and we have been praying. We've been reading through this book together. We've been going to our life groups. We've been preaching about it on Sundays. We've been doing everything that we can do to to get to know God more. And as we have come to know more of God and more of who he is, we have discovered that God actually has a purpose for our lives. In fact, not only does God have a purpose for our life, but we have actually discovered that God has actually five universal purposes for our lives. And each week we've just been breaking it down and looking at each one of these purposes. We've studied the first four already, so I thought we'd just do a little review here this morning. The first purpose of my life, how many remember what the first purpose of our life was? The first purpose of my life is to love and be loved by God. And there's a Bible word for that, and that's called worship. So everybody say worship. The first purpose of my life is to know how to worship God, to love and to be loved by God. Then we talked about the second purpose of our life, and that is to love others. And we talked about the Bible word for that, and that is fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. I was created to have fellowship, to have relationships with other people. And then we talked about the third purpose of our life. And the third purpose of our life is that we were created to become like Christ. We were created to grow into the image and the likeness of Christ. And the Bible word for that is called discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. And then last week, Pastor John, didn't Pastor John do a great job last week? Yeah. And he talked about the fourth purpose of our life, and he talked about how we were shaped for serving God, and the Bible word for that is called ministry. Everybody say ministry. 
We learned last week that every single one of us, not just the pastor, but every one of us are called into the ministry. Now, today, we're going to learn our fifth and final purpose for our lives. How many are ready to know the fifth purpose, the final purpose of your life? Everybody give me a little drum roll on your leg there real quick. The fifth purpose of your life is you were made for a mission. So everybody say that with me today. I was made for a mission. Come on, say it again. I was made for a mission. You were made for a mission. Now, when you think about that word mission, okay, just for a second, what comes to your mind? Like missionary, maybe, like going on a missions trip. Some of you, I saw you were saying, you know, like the Tom Cruise movie, Mission Impossible. I don't know. What comes to your mind when you think of this word mission? Well, actually, this word mission actually comes from a Latin word, and it's real simple. It simply means to be sent. Everybody say, be sent. Be sent. You were made for a mission. Here's the deal, is that you were made to accomplish a purpose, a task here on this planet that God has sent you out to do a work for him. You've got a job to do. In fact, Jesus said it like this in John 17 and verse 18. It says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As the Father sent Jesus to this world, so has God sent you out into the world. With a mission. In fact, I like the way it says it in, in John 17, 18 in the message. It says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, Jesus says, I have given them a mission in the world. God has given you a purpose. He's given you a task to accomplish in this world. He has sent you in the same way that God sent his son to this earth with a purpose to accomplish, with a task, with a job to do. In the same way, God is sending us out. He sends us out into the world with a mission, with a task to accomplish here on this earth. Now, there's a Bible word for that, just like there is for each one of these. And the Bible word is this. Are you ready for this? The Bible word is evangelism. So everybody say evangelism. Evangelism. Now, okay. What do you think of when you hear that word? All right? Like, especially when you hear it in in this way, when you hear about evangelist. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, your mind just automatically goes to the guy on TV. You know what I'm talking about with the big hair and the southern accent that says, send me all your money. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And you just think of that. Or or maybe you think of the guy down on the corner with the bullhorn yelling at everybody saying, turn or burn or whatever. But actually, to be an evangelist really just means to accomplish God's purpose, his mission for us. It really just means that God has sent us into the world, that we're not just called to be in the church, that we're not just called to do a work in the church, that we all should serve in the church, but we're called to go out into a world that is lost, a world filled with people who don't know Jesus, and that we are called and we are sent on a mission to make a difference in this world. 
Now, when I think about this, I can't help but think about one of my favorite parables, one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. We find it in the book of Matthew chapter 25, and that's where we're going to be here today talking about this parable. We've talked about it many times here at LifeGate before, but it's, it's so powerful, and it illustrates exactly what this whole series and this whole idea of the purpose of life is really all about. In fact, when Jesus is telling this story, I believe that he's trying to tell us what life is really all about. He gives us this parable to illustrate our purpose in life. We find it in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. How many of you know the parable of the talents? Maybe some of you don't know it. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. Jesus tells this story. He tells the story about a master, a guy, a boss who had three servants. He had three people that were working for him. And he calls these three people together. And to each of the three servants, the Bible says that he gives them a, a sum of money. In, in the old version, it calls it a talent. That's what we'll call it today. And to one guy, he gives five talents. And to another guy, he gives three talents. And to another guy, he gives one talent. And then the Bible says that the master sent the servants out to do something with the amount of money or with the talent that he gave them and he goes away on a long trip and after a while he comes back from the long trip and he calls his servants back together with him and he gives he asks them to give a report on what they did with the sum of money what they did with the talent that he gave to them that he entrusted to them well the guy with five talents the bible says he took those five talents and he put them to work and he turned the five talents into 10 talents and he said to the master master here are here are the five that you gave me here are five more that I invested the five and I put it to work and now here are ten talents the Bible says that the master looks at the man and says those words that we hear so many times in church he says to the to the servant well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful with a little bit and now I'm gonna make you ruler over much well the guy with three talents comes in and I'm sure he's getting excited now because he took his three talents and he put them to work and he invested them. And while the master was gone, he turned those three talents into six talents. And he said, Master, here's the three that you entrusted to me, but here's three more. I've turned it into six. And the master looks at the man and says, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little bit, and now I'm going to make you ruler over much. I'm going to bless you as you have used what I have entrusted to you. We all know a little bit about the story. The man with one talent. The Bible says the man came and he brought his one talent and he says, Master, I was afraid. I was afraid. I didn't know. I was afraid if I risked, if I did something with the talent, if I invested it, if I worked it, if I did something that I might lose it. And so I took it and I buried the one talent that I had. I buried the amount of money that you gave me and I didn't invest it. I didn't use it. I didn't do anything with it. And here it is. Here's the talent that you gave me. The Bible says that the master looked. At the servant and said, you wicked and lazy servant, take the one talent from this man and give it to the one who has ten. 
I listen to that story, I read that story, I think about that story, and I think, really, that's kind of what life is really all about. In fact, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the theme of this entire series, that every one of us, God has entrusted to us, that God has given us a mission, and he has, he has given us gifts and talents and abilities to be able to use to build his kingdom. We have an assignment to do with our lives. The ta- Talent in the story represents our life. It represents all that we have. And God has placed it in our lives and he has sent us out with a task to accomplish. He has sent us out with a mission, an assignment to do here on this planet. And just as in this story, one day we will stand before God and we will give an account for what we did with the life that God gave to us. The sad fact is, is that there are many who will stand before God on that day with regret. There are many who will stand before God on that day who will have not accomplished the mission, who will have failed at the mission that God has set us out to accomplish here on this planet. I started thinking about that. As I think about why so many people live for other purposes other than the purposes of God in their life, I started thinking about why is that? Why is it that so many miss the mission? Why is it that so many miss the point of life? Why is it that so many of us take what God has given us and bury it in the backyard somewhere and never truly accomplish the purpose and the assignment that God has for us in our lives? And I started studying and looking at the story, and I, and I thought, why did this one guy, why did he not do anything with what it was that the master gave him? And as I studied the story, I could really only come across one real reason that the the man didn't do anything with what he had. And it comes out of Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 24. Check this out. It says, Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seeds. So check this out, verse 25. So I was afraid. Everybody say afraid. I was afraid. And I went out and I hid the gold in the ground. Why did this man not accomplish his mission? Why did he not accomplish The assignment that the master had given him, one reason, fear. Why do we not accomplish the mission that God has for our lives? I believe many times it's just one reason, fear. You know, the truth is, fear is a big deal in so many of our lives, isn't it? In fact, how many of you would raise your hand today and you'd say, I'm afraid of something. There's something I'm afraid of. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand. You know what I'm saying? I mean... Fear is a big deal. Let's just, do, let's just do a little survey. All right, how many of you are maybe afraid of spiders? Anybody afraid of spiders? Come on. All right, how many of you afraid of snakes? Come on, anybody afraid of snakes? I'm raising my hand, man. I figure if the devil was a snake, then I don't mess with him. You know what I'm talking about? Scare me to death. I'm like Indiana Jones. How many of you would say, like, um, I'm afraid of thunderstorms and tornadoes and stuff like that? Come on, anybody? If you live around here long enough, you're going to experience that. I remember when we first moved here from West Texas, we, we had storms out there, but they were dust storms, you know? It was like straight wind, not wind going like this. And I remember when we first moved out here, man, my wife, she grew up in Midland, Odessa. She was freaked out about the tornadoes, and so one time the tornado thing went off or whatever, and she got the, my little girls, and they're like, two and three years old and she puts them in the puts them in the closet and gets the you know the mattress over their head and I remember my little daughter Addie said daddy don't let the ponado get us 
You know, I mean, we're afraid of stuff. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Anybody afraid of the dark? Come on, be honest, come on. I'm not afraid of the dark. I am afraid of something that might be in the dark. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like the little boy. I know I've told you this story before, but I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I've got to tell you, this little boy who, you know, he was scared of the dark, and he was helping his mom one time uh, as she was cooking dinner. And so the mom said, Johnny, go to the pantry and get that can of soup out of the pantry for me and bring it back to me. And Johnny was like, but I'm afraid. It's dark in the pantry, and there might be something in there. I'm scared of the dark. And Johnny's mom said, don't worry. Jesus will be there with you. So Johnny got all the courage that he could get to go to the pantry. He got to the pantry, looked in, and it was scary, and he was dark. But then he got an idea, and he cupped his hands and put them up to his mouth, and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of soup? I mean, oh, that smart kid right there, right? Fear, I mean, fear is a big deal. Like when you're little, it's a big deal. And sometimes we try to act like it's not a big deal when we get older. But how many know it's still a big deal? And we may not be afraid of the dark or the boogeyman, but man, as we grow older, guess what? We have, we have fears that we have as adults in life, and our fears just kind of tend to change, and they tend to kind of grow. They might be a little bit more hidden, but we have fears like fears of failure, fear of taking a risk, fear of committing ourselves to something. Man, we, we have these fears that hold us back and keep us from accomplishing the mission that God has placed us on this planet to accomplish. This man, this man with the one talent, the reason that he didn't please the master, the reason that he failed at the mission was because he was afraid. And I wonder this morning, how many of you are holding back? How many of you are hesitating to step out into what God wants you to do with your life because of fear? I wonder if there are those of you that are here today that maybe God's placed it in your heart to start a business. And I'm not just talking about starting a business to make money. I'm talking about a business that would, that would help you to, uh, obviously, to take care of your family, but to invest into the kingdom of God and to make a difference for missions or in the local church. And you, you feel like God has placed it in your heart and giving you a mission to, to start this business, to raise, uh, to raise money, to do missions, or to reach people in the community, but you have this fear. What if I fail? What if I quit my job and I start this business and then it doesn't work out? Or what if I go to the bank and try to get, you know, try to get the funding and I don't get the funding? Or what if I'm not good at it? And fear holds you back from stepping into the mission that God has for your life. Maybe some of you are here and maybe God's put it in your heart to adopt a child, to bring in a, a child into your family that you would be able to forever change their legacy and forever change their family line as you'd raise them up in a godly heritage and in a godly way. But you think, but what if we don't have the money? Or what if we get rejected? Or what if we bring them into our home and they are, they're sick or they have problems and Fear holds you back from doing what God has called you to do. Maybe some of you are here and maybe, maybe God is speaking to your life. It's time to begin to trust God in the area of tithe. It's time to begin to bring to God the first 10% of your income and to trust Him in that way. Or maybe to begin to give in a bigger way. Or maybe to make a commitment to fire Bible. And, and you think, I know I'm supposed to be doing that. But fear holds you back because you think, what if I don't have enough at the end of the month? And you hesitate on the mission that God has called you to do because of fear. Maybe some of you, maybe God has, has spoken to you about starting a, a ministry or, or leading
leading a life group, but you think, well, our house is not big enough, or I don't know if I know enough about the Bible, or I don't know if I'm a good enough leader, and fear causes you to hesitate. It holds you back from what God has called you to do. Maybe some of you, God is speaking to you to step up. Maybe some of you men to step up and be the spiritual leader of your family, to begin praying together with your family and leading your family, but you think, well, I don't know how to pray, or I don't know enough about the Bible, or what if I don't do it right, and fear holds you back. Maybe some of you, God's speaking to you today, even right now, that you need to get baptized in two weeks on November the 2nd, or you need to dedicate your children to the Lord, but you think, I can't get up there and share my testimony in front of everybody. I can't stand up at the front, because everybody's going to be looking at me, and fear holds you back from what God has called you to do with your life. You have a mission. You have a task to accomplish. God created you, made you for a mission to make a difference in this world. But so many times, fear holds us back. So I want to talk about this for just a minute. If you've got your notes, I want you to write down three quick, simple things here this morning about fear. The first one is this. So many of you are afraid you're going to fail. Well, guess what? Let me just just help you out here today. You will fail. Just write that down in your notes there. You will fail. In fact, look at your neighbor and just tell him, you will fail. Isn't that encouraging? Don't you just feel pumped up today? I mean, it's like, I came to church and the pastor told me, I'm going to fail. Oh man, I just feel so much better, right? Such an encouraging word. And yet, you know what? It kind of is encouraging. If you really think about it, I mean, at least it takes some of the pressure off At least it takes some of the anxiety and some of the fear out. The truth is, you will fail. If you try anything significant, if you try to do anything for God in this life, there are going to be times that you're going to fail. It is guaranteed 100%. The Bible says that we all fall short. Unless you are Jesus here this morning, and you're not, because I know you. You're going to fail. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. i got to tell you, I've made so many mistakes in my ministry and in my life. Don't tell me what they are. I already know them. You don't have to remind me. But, man, I, I, I've made so many mistakes. I remember my first sermon. Man, I, was, I think I was like 17 years old, and I studied all week long because my dad gave me a chance to preach on a Sunday night. How many remember Sunday night church, right? And man, I, I, my dad said, you can preach on this Sunday night, and I studied all week long and worked so hard to get get it all ready, get it all together, and I got up there to preach, and man, I thought I got this awesome message, I got, you know, 25 pages of notes, and I preached everything that I knew in the Bible, and when I was done, it was seven minutes long, <laughs> right, and I felt so discouraged, and I remember I told my dad, it was only seven minutes long, and I remember my dad said, son, no one will ever complain that you preach too short, Okay. I remember whenever I first became, when I first became a, a lead pastor of the church that we pastored in Midland, and I, I hadn't been the pastor for very long, and I'm preaching one day, and I mean, I'm really going to town, like I'm getting really excited and really preaching, and I'm preaching about this, uh, the passage in the Old Testament that says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against them. Man, I'm going after it, and I'm just saying, man, no matter what the enemy does and whatever happens in your life, God's going to come against it and he's going to protect you and whatever. And, man, I'm really flowing. And I said, and the enema is advancing. (laughs) 
I'm not kidding. I said it. And I knew I said it, but I thought, man, I can't let everybody else know that I, that I said it. So I just tried to, like, just keep on preaching, right? And I looked over here, and one of my board members is sitting over here, and he's laughing. And then I look over here, and my youth pastor, he's laughing. And then I look over here, and somebody back there's laughing. And all of a sudden, I just stopped, and I said, all right, I said it. Enema. And everybody just started laughing. Then there was this girl after church came up to me and said, Pastor, it's all right. In fact, you didn't get it wrong. The enema is advancing because the devil's up my behind all the time. (laughs) I'm telling you what, if you attempt something for God, guess what? There are going to be times when you fail. Some of you are saying, I can't believe he said that. That was a big fail. You're going to fail. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. But don't fear it. Embrace it. You know, sometimes failure is just a part of the growing process that leads us towards success. James said it like this in James 3 and verse 2. We all stumble. Everybody say, we all stumble. We all stumble. If anyone is never at fault, he is a perfect man. I don't see no perfect men or perfect women in this place today. We're all going to fail. You will fail. Everybody say, I will fail. Number two, check this out. You can overcome. You will fail. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. If you attempt something for God, if you attempt to live out the mission and the calling and the purpose that God has for your life, you're going to mess up. You're going to blow it. You're going to make mistakes. But guess what? It's not the end. Failure is never final. You can overcome. In fact, I love what the scripture says in Proverbs 24 and verse 16. It says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Look at this. This guy fell down seven times. You would call this guy a major screw-up. Man, this guy is a failure, right? But that's not what the Bible calls him. What's the Bible call him? The Bible calls him a righteous man. What? This guy fell seven times and the Bible calls him righteous? Why is he righteous? He's righteous because even though he falls seven times, each time he rises again. Let me tell you something. When you begin to step out and do what God has called you to do, when you begin to invite your friends to church and witness to your friends and start ministries and lead life groups, when you begin to start businesses and when you begin to step out into the mission and the plan that God has for your life, you're going to fail and you're going to blow it. And you're probably going to blow it more than seven times. But that's not what makes you righteous. What makes you righteous is that every time you blow it, you get back up again. You know, one of my favorite movies in fact, there's like 20 of them. It's called Rocky. How many like Rocky? Come on, I like Rocky. Rocky movies are awesome. Now, Rocky, you watch the movies. The, the dude's not the greatest fighter, not the greatest talker either. You know what I'm saying? And, I mean, he doesn't have all the skills and all the, and all the abilities that, you know, that the other guys he's fighting, Apollo Creed and Clubber Lane and, and Yvonne Drago and, you know, all these. You, you're, you're impressed that I knew all his names, right? All these guys that he's that he's fighting, he didn't have the skills and the talents, but you know what you know what he had? He had heart. You know what made Rocky a great champion? Is that even though he got knocked down more than anybody else, he always got back up. In fact, that's what made him the champion. He got it back up one more time than the other guy. 
And I'm telling you, you're going to fail and you're going to blow it. And you can, you can live your life in fear. You can live your life hanging on to what you got in protection mode, just like the guy who took his talent and buried it in the ground. Or you can decide that God has a purpose and a plan for my life and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to live out what God has for me. And yes, I may fail and yes, I may blow it and yes, I may make mistakes, but each time that I fail and each time that I blow it and each time that I make a mistake, I'm just going to get back up and I'm going to do it again. I think about this story about the talents. Check this out. The master didn't say to the, to the, to the servants, well done, good and perfect servants. What did he say? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I can imagine these guys, when they were trying to take the five and turn it into ten or the three and turn it in to six, I can imagine that they made mistakes. I can imagine they didn't do it all just right. I can imagine there might have been times when they lost a little bit of money as they were trying to invest it and trying to, and trying to do something with it. But the master didn't commend them because they were perfect. He commended them because they were faithful. And here's what we've got to do is we've got to redefine failure. Everybody say redefine failure. Here's how you define failure. Failure is the price that I pay on the road to God's success. Man, if I never try anything, if I just live in protection mode and never step out into what God has for me to do, well, guess what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to wind up at the end of my life in regret. But if I realize that, hey, I might fail and I might, I might make mistakes, but I'm going to risk and I'm going to step out and I'm going to live by faith. When you begin to live by faith, you'll see that, hey, I'll make mistakes and I'll blow it, but that's the price that I pay on the road to God's success for my life. It reminds me of this story of, uh, of this guy who was a teacher. He taught pottery class. And every year when his pottery students would come together, he would, he would do a little experiment with them. And he would say, all right, today for the next three hours in this class, this is what I want to do. And he split the, two t- the, the class up into two different uh, two halves. And to one half of the class, he would say, here's what I want you to do for the next three hours. I want you to uh, concentrate on, on quantity. I want you to make as many pots as you possibly can. In fact, over the next three hours, I think you could make a hundred pots. I want you to shoot for a hundred pots over the next three hours. And then he would say to the other half of the class, here's what I want you to do for the next three hours. I want you to focus Focus on nothing but quality. I only want you to make one pot, but I want you to make that pot the best, most excellent, perfect pot that you can that you can possibly make. And over those three hours, the students would work. At the end of the three hours, he called the students all back together, and he saw that the students that were focusing on on, on quantity they had they had made over a hundred pots, and the other students had made one pot. And so then he would take the best of the ones that made over a hundred, and they, he would take the one that was made to be supposedly perfect and he would compare together and every single time there would be at least 10 or 12 pots on the quantity quantity side that would be more perfect and better than the one pot that was made by the quality side and he would speak to the students and he would say students here's the way here's what the lesson that I want you to learn so many of you spend so much time trying to make sure that it's perfect you spend your time over analyzing everything afraid to step out and afraid to do anything but the students who just went to work and began to work on the quantity they would learn that after a while they hey we messed up on this pot but we learned a little bit we messed 
up on this one, but we learned a little bit. And after 10 or 12 or 14 pots, they started to kind of get good and understand what they were doing. And by the 100th pot, they had learned what it was like and how it was to shape that pot. And here's what I would say to you. Some of you are here today, and you're reading this book, and you're studying through this material, and you're going, that's good. I know God has a purpose for my life. And when I find it out just to the T, and when I know just exactly what it is that I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to do it or how it's all going to come together or how it's going to be financed or whenever I get a good enough education or whenever I learn enough, then I'll step out and start doing something that God wants me to do with my life. And you overanalyze and you hesitate and you take your talent and you bury it in the ground somewhere and you never really learn what you need to learn because you're afraid that you're going to fail because you're afraid if I step out, I might not do it right. And my encouragement would be to you today that you will fail, that you will blow it, that you will mess up. But every time you fail, you learn something. You pick it back up and you begin to grow from it. Don't hesitate because one day you'll stand before God. And on that day, I want to be able to hear him say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You weren't perfect, but you were faithful. You stepped out in faith and you did what I had called you to do. And you have done something great for the kingdom of God. Come on, I'm preaching good. Somebody say amen. You will fail. You can overcome. Check this out, number three. If you want to please God, you're going to have to take some risks. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Guess what? You can't play it safe and please God. You can't bury your talent and please God. In fact, look at the story. Who was it that pleased the master? Who was it that heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant? It was the ones who took the risk. They took the five and they risked the fact that they might have lost the five. They might have lost the three. But they stepped out in faith. They took a risk and they did something with what the master had given them. And what was the master's response? The master's response was, well done. Good job. I'm pleased with you. But notice the master's response to the man who took the one and buried it in the ground, the one who played it safe, was not willing to take a risk. Verse 26 says, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servants, so, servants, so you knew that I had harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seeds. Well, you should have at least took my money and placed it on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Check this out. You can spend your whole life trying to protect what you have and in the end lose it anyway. This man tried to protect what he had. He was afraid he was going to lose it. And what happened? He lost it anyway. Here's what I want you to know here this morning is that God has placed gifts and talents and abilities in your life to use for the kingdom of God to win people to Jesus and to bring them into relationship with him. He's placed those in your life for a purpose 
and for a mission. And one day you'll stand before God and you'll give an account for how you lived and what you did with the life that God gave you. And on that day, if you just lived your life for yourself, if you just lived your life in fear and hesitant, not doing really anything, not taking any real risk, just living in protection mode, on that day, the master will not be pleased. But I'm here to tell you today, I want with my life, and I believe there are some of you that are here this morning that this is what you want from your life. I want to live my life in such a way that I risk it all, that I do whatever it takes to make a difference for, for, for the kingdom of God, that I don't care what people think, that really I live my whole life only concerned with what God will say on that day when I stand before him. Some of you are protecting yourself. Man, I know, you know, Pastor, I know I've been reading this book. I know God has a plan for me, but I'm kind of scared. Maybe I'm scared to commit to that. Maybe I'm afraid if I commit to that, that God might tell me to go to Africa or something. I'm scared of that. I don't want to do that. And what will God say to me if I really fully surrender it to him? But here's the thing is what will God say to you on that day if you don't? We've got to be willing to risk it all, you know. This past week, got a testimony on our, on our website, what on earth am I here for dot today. If you have a testimony, I'd love for you, to, for you to share that with us. And I was checking that this week and got this testimony from a lady in the church who stepped out in a big way, in big faith. She says, I was very hesitant to share this book with my sister as she took the, took the Purpose Driven Life book and she gave it to her sister she knew she didn't have a good relationship with. But I knew that God had a plan to restore our relationship through it. A few years ago, my sister and I had a falling out. And since then, I haven't spoken. We haven't spoken to each other. Our only contact has been prim- primarily on holidays or family gatherings. And that's it. But after I gave the book to her, we met for lunch two weeks later. When we opened the book and we both stopped on the What Drives Your Life chapter. She opened up immediately and apologized for all the things that she had been holding against me for so long. She explained that her feelings and actions were verified, which verified all the feelings that I had. I was then able to share my thoughts and to forgive her. We both agreed that we were ready to repair this relationship and move forward as sisters. Even better, she came to our Bible study last week and is going to join another Bible study in November. I am praying for her to to visit our church or the church of her choice. Our ultimate purpose is to bring her and her family back to the Lord. Although God never fails to surprise me, I can't help but step back in awe at what God is doing right now. That's awesome. What is it that God wants you to risk today for his kingdom and for the mission, for the task that God has placed you here on this earth to accomplish? What is it that's causing you to be afraid to truly step into the purpose that God has for your life? I would challenge you today to surrender that to God, to step into what God has for you. Just as we spoke of during the worship time, don't be worried about what will happen tomorrow or next week or next year. Just be in the moment of what God has for you in your life right now. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room here this morning. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and maybe fear is holding you back from even surrendering your life 
to God. Maybe it's the fear of surrender. Maybe it's the fear of commitment. Maybe you're, you're here and God is tugging at your heart and you know, you know that you need to get right with God. You know you need to come clean with Him. You know you need to surrender your life to Him, but you're afraid. What does that mean? That might mean that I have to, that I have to break up with a boyfriend, or that might mean that I need to stop some habits in my life, or that might mean that I need to make some changes that I'm not sure I'm willing to make those changes in my life. And fear, the fear of surrender, the fear of commitment is holding you back from experiencing what God has in store for you today. And I'm here to tell you that you can trust God. You can trust His plan for your life. Yeah, when you come to Him, He's going he's gonna to make some changes and He's going he's gonna to grow you and develop you and change you as you come to Him. But you can trust that His plan is a good plan and a right plan. And His plan is what's best for you. The Bible says, for as high as the heavens are, are from the earth that's how far his ways and thoughts are from your ways and your thoughts and you may think you got it all figured out you may think I know what I'm supposed to do with my life and where I'm supposed to be but get, let me tell you something the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man but in the end it leads to the destruction our own way will end up in our own destruction but when we surrender our lives to God and to his plan and to his ways it's always for our good it's for a hope and a future. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the LifeGate podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. As always, if you're new to LifeGate or haven't heard of us before, please be sure to visit our website at lifegateburleson.com for our address, service times, and upcoming events. Again, that's lifegateburleson.com. Thanks again, take care, and we look forward to visiting with you next week.